0: Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Havis, your host, and today we're going to talk with Trishala Desai, an MBA student at Cornell and the founder of GigUp, a startup that matches gig economy workers to consumers in order to complete the consumer's to-do list. We're excited to hear the story of what prompted her to launch this business and how she focuses on benefiting both the workers and their customers. Trish is a member of Cornell's eLab Student Accelerator, which helps students build businesses through mentorship, resources, and programming focused on customer discovery, pitching, and business model development. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And remember to rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom. That way, even more young entrepreneurs can find the podcast and be inspired to follow their dreams. So, welcome, Trish. I'm so glad you could be here.
1: Thank you, Kathy. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about GigUp, and I absolutely love this podcast. I used to listen to it in undergrad all the time, and to actually be on it today is is an honor.
0: Awesome. So, why don't you start out by giving us your 30 second pitch about GigUp?
1: Absolutely. All righty. So, GigUp is essentially the app that we all need when we have task overwhelm. So, you know, we've all been here before, right? You're at work. You have a thousand things to do. You have to go pick up your kids. On the way to picking up your kids, you realize, oh, no, you know what? I have to pick up some food for the kids. You grab the food. You get home, and you realize, committed the cardinal sin, you forgot toilet paper, right? We've all been there. There's a thousand things to do at once, and how do we do it? And as one of my ELAPs professors, Ken, he always says this. He says, well, if there's a problem, the market probably has that solution. So check that out first, right? And when you think of this issue, normally the first thing that comes to your mind, right, Kathy, is, okay, well, I guess she could have ordered Uber Eats, right, to get maybe the food part of that done. Maybe she could have used Instacart to go get the groceries done while she picks up her kids or whatever it may be. But the problem with that is how much it hurts the consumer, right? So the idea here is, if you're using all of these delivery apps, you're paying a service fee on every single app, right? And when you have 50 tasks to do, that's 50 different service fees, and the service you're getting in return is only marginal, right? So then the idea here at GigUp is we want to optimize that. And we're going to essentially give you, Kathy, a gig assistant, and it's almost like your own personal assistant, and they run up to 10 tasks for you. And the idea here is, rather than using Instacart for 50, you know, things on your grocery list, It's a quicker way to do that. So instead, this person will run to Walmart, pick up two things for you. They'll run to CVS, pick up two things from there. Then they'll go pick up your laundry and maybe go grab you a really good Thai takeout. But the idea here is smaller items at a faster pace. So the big part of this is, one, you're getting your, you know, whatever you want faster. And two, and most importantly, it's better for the consumer. There's lower service fees. That being said, the heart of this business and what makes me so passionate about it is actually the other side of it, which is the labor side. And the idea here is that we're paying our workers not only fairly, but we've created a labor benefits system. And the way this works is, in addition to the pay that they currently get, they're also going to get portable benefits. And portable benefits include things like healthcare, childcare, paid time off, etc. And this all exists within their gigup account. So no matter what tasks they do, they're always insured. So that's a little bit about up, but it obviously gets more and more involved as we get more into it.
0: Wow, well, that's really cool. It sounds like something that no one has tried to do before, especially in terms of supporting the workers so well. So, Trish, obviously you're dealing with workers from various different backgrounds and various different locations and expertises, but you want there to be some kind of a uniform buy-in to what you're doing. And there'll be so many little differences between what they're doing. How can you deal with that? Or what have you done to to deal with that? So to answer that question,
1: I think there's a couple major tenets we have to think about. So first and foremost, I mean, not to state the obvious, everyone needs work, right? So I think the one thing that binds all of these micro inconsistencies together is the flexibility and the availability of work. And that kind of just goes back to the heart of the gig economy, right? So when you have a group or a collective of workers, I mean, they're working for gig up for the benefits, sure, but they're also doing it for the flexibility and the type of work. So I find that even the model of the gig economy inherently kind of brings these people together. Then in terms of, are there micro inconsistencies in terms of the workers getting along? It's interesting, right? Because it's, again, an Uber-type model where each worker is having a one-on-one interaction with the consumer. So we don't really have to necessarily worry about that. But if we did, I would imagine that, if anything, they're all bound together by this seminal experience, which is they're doing this part-time job for maybe something more or something else or something more important to them to make ends meet per se. So I would hope that, you know, they would all bind together based on that and then eventually go and pursue whatever their career path baby.
0: That's fascinating about how the business works. So do you have a story about what motivated you to start this and care so much about both sides of this economy?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Kathy. It's a very interesting story actually. Both my parents are Indian immigrants and they came to this country on a uh, very little, but they experienced a lot of issues in terms of labor security, labor benefits, and discrimination, quite frankly, to an extent as well. So I grew up seeing that and I knew there had to be some way to change that, right? So everything I did growing up was based on how can I go to law school? How can I find justice? How can I change this, right? And that's what kind of drew me to ILR. So I actually went to Cornell for undergrad. I studied labor employment law because I was very passionate about immigrant rights, human rights, and labor rights, quite frankly. So when I came to ILR, I learned more about the system, I majored specifically in classes that dealt with disability law and labor employment law, which led me over to working at a human rights campaign where I actually for the first time learned about workers' benefits. And the idea in this campaign was that everyone should have some kind of basic benefit, which includes health care or child care or paid time off, irrespective of if they're a part-time worker or a full-time worker. That was something I was really passionate about. So I ended up going back to law school, and I started working on this idea on the side. So you had that typical law student by night, entrepreneur by day, essentially. So I was doing both at the same time. And I actually ended up writing a paper about it, got picked up, got an award, blah, 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 etc., right? But the important thing is, once I wrote the paper, everybody came to me and said, well, Trish, can you create this? Is it possible to create a portable benefit system that can essentially give workers equal benefits everywhere, is it possible? And I was like, yeah, I'd I'd love to make it. So that's how we started with this idea of GigUp. It started with a simple card, right? Like let's have one card which has all your benefits on it. And then it kind of evolved into something more where we said, well, how are we gonna optimize that card for every single type of work, right? So if they're running groceries or if they're picking up children or they're doing something else, how do we create the benefits for each task? So that led us to gig up, you know, like let's create this personal assistant app, learn how to work the benefits there. And then eventually the goal and, and, you know, the long term goal is to create this huge universal uh, portable benefit system.
0: So where do things stand right now? Do you have an app already available or are people using it? What kind of things are you doing?
1: Absolutely, Kathy. We're in scrappy startup mode at the moment. So essentially what happened is we started building out the app, but what we decided is that it's more important to go with an MVP first. So right now, if you actually go to New York, you'll see some of my friends on bikes as they are running around and taking several different orders trying to test out what deliveries are possible and what aren't. So right now we have scaled back a little. We're in the MVP stage, really just getting those basic operational points down. And then we're scheduled to launch hopefully by April. We're working on the app as well. So everything's kind of coming together and hopefully we'll be set to go a little bit before graduation.
0: Wow. That's great. So is this your final year as an MBA student? This
1: is my final year. So a little fun fact uh, about me, Kathy, and it's going to make you laugh. So my mom always jokes around. She's like, you do everything super fast. And this is kind of like my track record, right? So I graduated high school early. I graduated college early, did my JD and my LLM at half the time. I came to Cornell for my MBA, did a one-year MBA, the accelerated one. So it's just this year and I've already finished everything and I'm almost out to go. So hopefully GigUp will go through when we'll do that super
0: quickly too. Oh my gosh. So your plans are for after you finish your MBA to work on the company.
1: Oh, 100%. Absolutely. It's it's my baby, you know. So after I graduate, I plan on working on GigUp full-time, hopefully bring it to consumers and really help out workers while I'm at it. I mean, I think that's the passion behind the entire business. And hopefully we build out something great in
0: two or three years. So obviously, the market for gig workers is huge, and it probably grew since the pandemic started. I guess if you can explain a little bit more about how the benefit structure would work, who's putting in the money to reap the benefits for these people? That would be interesting to me.
1: Too. 100%. So I mean, in terms of gig workers, right, So we're starting small, we're starting in New York, and obviously there's much more, but the number that we started with was like 32 million gig workers. But specifically in New York, we're going after the segment that is riding bikes, because we want to kind of, to an extent, minimize the competition with the big guys like Uber. So we want to make it a little bit differentiated in that way. And then in terms of how we're actually getting the money to do it. The beachhead is critical, right? So our beachhead market is consultants, IB bankers, lawyers, residents, like all these young professionals that are just getting out into work. And they essentially are, it sounds bad, but it's true, they're, they're willing to pay that premium price to get this assistance. And at the same time, they experience this problem more than all of us because they're required to be at work 45, what, 50 hours, and they just don't have time. And they also don't have space, right? We've been around New York. There's no space to go run and you know, grab groceries and come back to the office in time. So I think the critical segment is that to start with. However, Kathy, I do think in the future, once we grow it out, then the funding will just kind of come from all of the transactions within the app itself.
0: Very interesting. So it feels like, all of your background has contributed to this. Like you must use pieces of your ILR education and pieces of your law degree. Do you find that as an entrepreneur, that's been really helpful that you have kind of a varied background and a lot of different experiences?
1: It's such a great question, Kathy. So I want to answer this really in two ways. So one, I don't think you truly need all those degrees to be an entrepreneur. And I want anyone who's dreaming about that out there to know like, you just have to have a plan, have a dream, and know who to talk to. I mean, the key to entrepreneurship, I think, truly is having the right network and having the right resources. That being said, yes, at least for what I'm building, everything came together quite beautifully. So the ILR degree, to me, was probably the basis of this entire business, right? Knowing that much about the labor market, knowing about the gig economy, Just understanding the workings and the inner workings of how to even create the system started in ILR and and with that education. As for law school, I mean, it was probably the most important piece here for me because legally setting up the structure, I mean, as you know, gig economy workers are independent contractors, right? They're not fully employees. So there's a very particular way in how you have to create these benefits within the law in a way that helps the workers and the consumers. So that definitely helped me and and the JD and the LLM together really came together and helped me with that piece. So I do think that, yes, all the degrees paid off and now the MBA and e-labs is brilliant, but I will say if you want to truly be an entrepreneur, networks, resources, and a plan is, is just truly the way to go.
0: That's great. So did you come to Cornell knowing when you were starting your MBA that you were gonna try to be involved in ELAB or that you wanted to be involved in the entrepreneurship track or how did that connection happen?
1: Absolutely, Kathy. That's my favorite question to answer. So essentially what happened is I was in my final year of law school and I knew I wanted to do gig up. It was about a hundred percent certain at that point. And I thought to myself, you know, where should I go get my MBA? And as I've told you before, you know, I do everything very quickly. So I was looking into these one-year programs, and the first thing I saw as soon as I opened my computer was eLabs Cornell, you know, AMBA, which is which is the Accelerated MBA program. And that was it. I didn't even think to apply to anything else. I knew it when I saw it because I had seen eLabs in undergrad. I remember my friends, a really good friend of mine. Aditya, he had done ballet apps when we were in school through eLabs. And I'd seen a success. I knew the program. And I thought to myself, yes, absolutely. You know, even if I have to go back to Ithaca, and I know it's cold out there, I'm definitely going to go and do this because it's such a brilliant program. And I mean, as someone who's seen it over the years, I think it's really evolved. And what eLabs is today, I think is even maybe 10 times better than your everyday accelerator or anything else, because they truly focus on engagement with the entrepreneurs and really making you think of how to make your vision realistic. And I think that's something that's intangible. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to see where you're going or navigate this process. And they really, truly make that easier.
0: That's great. So the eLab experience includes a lot of different facets from like programming, to mentoring, to pitching in front of New York City investors. What experiences within that framework have been the most helpful for you, you think, as you are moving ahead?
1: Not to say the cheesy answer, all of it, um, but so for me personally, there was a lot of one-on-one mentorship through a program that they called like cohorts. And essentially they get two or three companies together and you sit down with a mentor and you talk about your business. And I found that extremely helpful. So my mentor was Nate and he is probably to an extent, the heart of Giga, because this was the time I got to really sit down and throw out every idea I had you know, on the table as he workshopped it. And I can tell you, it was obviously very hard in the beginning, right? I started with a card uh, that had portable benefits, now I'm in a gig app. So being able to think that through with also other people who are building a company, I think created a really great sense of community and understanding while also bringing forward that sense of mentorship. I found that pretty brilliant, also, the boot camps are so great. You learn so much. Ken is a superstar. I mean, he really goes through and makes you realize how to essentially make your business into an actual plan, right? So it's not just an idea. I think that was great, too. Pitch night was fantastic. But for me, at least, I, I think I'm going to circle back to those cohort groups. I think it truly is that one-on-one mentorship that helps you advance to the next level.
0: That's great. So you talked a little bit about, obviously, you have a lot of advanced degrees and that that's helped you in various ways, but that you don't need all those things necessarily to be an entrepreneur. So I wonder if there are some things you think of as you personally, uh, skills that you have or character traits or other things that you think that have been helpful or that would be helpful for anyone who thinks they want to be an entrepreneur. Are there certain things that you have found useful just in in terms of your own personal?
1: I find that entrepreneurs always, not always, but for the most part, tend to be a crazy optimistic bunch. It just seems to be part of the job description. I think what's really ironic is on top of being crazy optimistic, I'm also very, very critical of like my business and myself. So you find that to be kind of, I guess, a dichotomy of sorts, but it actually helps you a lot as an entrepreneur because you never want to be polarized on either side of the spectrum. And I think the greatest thing an entrepreneur can do is find that middle, which I know (laughs) it sounds incredibly difficult, but, you know, I can give you an example. So in terms of like my everyday, right? Yes. Do I think GigUp's going to work? Sure. Do I believe in the mission behind helping workers? Yes. Do I want to have consumers have a better experience? Yes. But at the same time, I'm the same person who looks at that and says, well, you know what? Operationally, we can't hit every city at once, right? We've got to start in New York operationally we can't even compete with uber realistically right at this moment we're going to start small let's do bikes you know even further let's go 10 steps further maybe as the first benefit it's not healthcare because you know we don't have the funds to do it we start with an hsa but that doesn't negate your dream or what you believe in it just kind of makes it a little bit more realistic and just being able to see things in a pragmatic way as well as an optimistic way i think is what makes a really really great entrepreneur cuz the idea is like there's always a solution, but it's just you have to find it, right? So if you look at it like that rather than, oh, no, my business is going to fail, you know, we can't do the original card or oh, what now it's on bikes, what are we going to do? I, I think people fall into that trap a lot because you just have this idea that you're very vested in. I think true entrepreneurship is all about finding that middle, being ready to pivot, being ready to move around. But maybe having that core passion for a certain value proposition that really speaks to you.
0: Right, right. So you know the problem and you know what problem you really want to solve. And then you're trying to do that however it evolves as you go along.
1: That's exactly it.
0: Which is really interesting, which is something I think a lot of people can't do. So that's an entrepreneurial skill for sure. So do you have some habits that you feel are really helpful to you in your day-to-day life? Talk about finishing things early and, you know, accelerating everything. Are there some ways that you found that have helped you habit-wise or some things that you habits that you're not so fond of that you wish you didn't have?
1: Absolutely. Oh, what an amazing question. So I think the first thing that I really pride, at least about myself, is just work ethic. And I know that's really just basic, but when I say work ethic, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying you have to, you know, wake up at 5 a.m., follow a perfect routine, do everything. You know, that's not what I mean. Work ethic is showing up, giving it your best while you're there, being on time, and just really giving everything you have to that task at hand. I think that is probably one thing that I know how to do best, because to me, it's like, if I'm showing up for gig up, if I'm showing up for school, if I'm showing up for this interview, I believe in giving that 100% while I'm there. Then, of course, after the interview, you know, I'm probably going to be chilling out and and having my relaxation time, but being very actively aware of having that work ethic and being a hundred percent there when you're doing something. And the second thing I'll say is while I say that, and I know it's a bit of a dichotomy, don't take life too seriously, right? And I know that's a th- easy thing to say, and as an entrepreneur, it almost sounds like a death sentence because you're so passionate about what you're passionate about. But I've noticed that's something that's always helped me in life, and it comes back to that point about pivoting and being able to really just take on challenges and solutions like Nothing is so, how do I put it? Nothing is really the end of the world, right? My mom used to always tell me like the greatest gift you have in life, Trish, is that you're living, right? Like the fact you woke up today and your eyes are blinking and you're walking, that's it. That's start there and everything else is irrelevant. So I've always lived my life like that. And in moments, especially in entrepreneurship, you know, you'll have deals that are failing. Recently, we were talking to, you know, a partnership, they kind of pulled out. That's a great example of where, you know, it feels like the world's crashing down, all of this stuff, but you just keep it real, right? You're like, okay, that's fine. There's always another solution. Ended up talking to a friend of a friend, got the partnership through another channel, right? So it's just kind of that mindset, I think, that really helps. And as for the bad habits, (laughs) I think coming with a personality that's so optimistic and like so high energy, it goes both ways, right? So on the flip side of it, when I am done with work or when I'm tired or whatever, it's like full shutdown mode, right? That can be hard sometimes, right? Because, you know, there's times you have to work and you don't want to work. But if I'm in shutdown mode, I (laughs) completely shut off. I'll put everything on do not disturb. No one can call me. I have to have my hour of just peace. I believe in like we call them constructive naps. And my mom always teases me about this. I'll take like power naps throughout the day. There's a way I shut down that can maybe not be the best, but I've learned how to optimize that over the years. But yes, when I shut down, I shut down very hard.
0: It's probably not actually a bad thing that you completely turn everything off and take a break unless there's some major emergency that someone needs to get you. Yes. So along the way, as an entrepreneur, you often have people tell you things about your business or about life or that you find helpful or not. And I would love to know if there's some advice that you've been given along the way that you feel has been really helpful and some perhaps that you're happy that you didn't take.
1: Oh, what a great question. So in terms of advice that I really, really loved. So I'm a very big social impact person, right? Like I care about workers. I care about consumers. I want to change the world. There's all of that good stuff. And I remember it's a funny piece of advice, but it's true. I remember my mentor Nate in e-labs he was like you can help people you could also make a great business and make money too they're not mutually exclusive which i think it's hilarious when you hear it out loud you know you're like well it sounds impossible but i guess the the underlying piece of advice there was you can have both right and i think we're so wired to think like oh, okay if i'm helping people then it means that I, I won't be able to make like lots of money and and you know make this a completely consumer oriented business or if i'm completely consumer oriented i can't help workers but i think his point just underlies this dichotomy again that you can really just have both i mean there's a way to have you know socially responsible businesses there's a way to have a business which helps people but also is generating a lot of money it's possible and then to answer how obviously you have to figure out how to make that happen right i'm doing it through labor benefits I've heard this really cool thing recently about using blockchain for charities. I mean, there's a thousand ways to do it. It's all about that mindset, right? Like, you have to think it's possible to have both. As for a bad piece of advice, I try to think that no one gives you bad advice, at least on purpose, but I did have a mentor, I guess, tell me, and this was not an ELO, this was when I was much younger in ILR. He was like, look, you shouldn't go after entrepreneurship unless you have a bazillion degrees. You're not going to know what you're doing. You won't know the space. You're going into labor benefits. You could never do that without a law degree. And you could barely be able to do your finances without an MBA. You have to have all these degrees. And looking back at it, yes, okay, I went to school and stuff, but that's more of me just being a self-proclaimed nerd. But in terms of, could you have done this without the degrees? Yes, you could have, right? And I think that's why that advice really never resonated with me in the sense of, yes, these things help, but the actual day-to-day of gig up has less to do with the degree and more to do about the resources, how you implement your plan and how you go about it. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you know, go to an accelerator, right? Like if you can't, there's thousands of YouTube videos like learn the basics, learn how to, you know, set up your balance sheet learn how to do basic things like talk to a couple investors, throw yourself out there. It's all about networking and really putting yourself out there and believing in this thing you believe in, on top of having, of course, a tangible plan. So yeah, I I don't, again, coming back to that kind of theme, I don't think it's necessary to have all the degrees. And I would change that advice and essentially say, don't think that you need that to be a great entrepreneur.
0: Well, it sounds like you have had good mentors along the way, to really help you balance the missions that you have in both ways. I wondered if you have parameters for success or goals that you feel like you've already reached, things that you want to reach. When you think of the end of the day, like what will make you feel like GigUp has been successful? I'm sure you've met some people who, you know, are the bike GigUp workers, you know, and really have learned stories about their life. I'm sure you also, you know, know people who or as you said, struggling to like make their life work because they can't finish all their tasks in a day. Like how would you measure success for the company?
1: That's a great question. I you know, I mean, obviously there's the metric and then there's the actual value of it all. So I think it goes both ways. So I think if I got to talk to maybe the first fifty workers that were in the gig fund and they were using their benefits. And, you know, I got a very powerful story of like, oh, Trish, you know, this direct payment and this healthcare allowed me to go back to school and get my education and also be an entrepreneur. I think I would hang my coat up and maybe just start crying because that, to me, that is the whole point. You know, it's empowering every single gig worker and giving them this ability to become better and to have options, you know, like they're workers too. And I can't stress that enough, you know, we are so quick to say oh it's an independent contractor who needs healthcare right like who needs child care but the people who need it the most are these gig workers are these independent contractors so maybe just seeing the actual impact i think is something that would make me happy in terms of actual goals though like if we put a metric to it i think the first time that we reach at least maybe like 60 workers and they've used every fund in their gig up account i think that metric is gonna be a huge milestone, right? Because we know that, yes, these benefits are working, it's actually successful. And not to leave the consumers out of this mission too, You know, having happy consumers tell us that their gigs are working well and all of that is just as exciting. But yes, I think that first milestone would be seeing all of the benefits being redeemed and knowing that this is coming to fruition and we're helping people.
0: Right, that's great. Just thinking of you as a person and an entrepreneur, Is there anything that people might be surprised to find out about you?
1: I absolutely adore, like, adore old French films, and I think it's, like, the funniest thing. You know, like, everyone's like, you really, Trish? How come? But it's something I kind of picked it up in high school. You know, I've always liked different cultures, different experiences, and there was something so different, I guess, and and unique about, you know, those 1950 films that it just always made me think of what wasn't the norm, right? And to an extent, it makes sense, right? Because it comes back to this idea of think outside the box and think of something different. I always loved them because I felt like it was something so distant from our everyday lives. And it made me think of something that maybe wasn't conventional or like typical. So yeah, I love old French films. I've watched like a gazillion of them. I still watch them. It's a really fun fact. And I, I think it goes back to this idea of Do things that make you think outside of the box. Always keep expanding and and just keep thinking of different things. You know, it it helps you keep on your toes and and I think it makes you a great entrepreneur.
0: So are these films in French? Do you understand French? So you understand French?
1: Here's the fun fact, Kathy. I put subtitles on every single time. I do understand it to an extent now where I can, like the main stuff. I know the, the, the main dialogues, but no, no. I always keep the subtitles on irrespective.
0: Right. That's good. Yes. That's good. I mean, I know as an MBA student, you're doing a lot of reading for school, but are there any things you read that you would recommend to people, books, articles, websites? um...
1: Oh, Kathy, you couldn't have asked me a better question. So I, first of all, like I don't have Instagram. I don't have TikTok. I literally have no social media. People ask me how I live and the answer is books, right? I love to read. I mean, I could spend the whole podcast telling you about every single I've read or every podcast that I've listened to, reading is invaluable. And maybe it's the the lawyer in me or the ILR in me. I can't get through a day without reading. And as for what? I, everything under the sun, right, Kathy? So we start the morning and we might start with Atomic Habits, right? So I, I love that book. It's all about how to stack habits in your life, small things that can really just make you more effective. Then in the middle of the day, we need a little bit of a reset. So maybe then I pull out Gatsby and I remember that yes, there is great literature in this world that is worded so beautifully that it reminds you how to even speak in a way that's effective. And then by the afternoon, then you know, I'll be looking through maybe MLK's speeches and remind myself that rhetoric is so important. I think as a lawyer, it's something I've loved. As an ILRE, as a business person, the way you speak is so important. So I'll be going through every speech he's ever written and just think about what he thought about while he was writing that. How do you deliver the message? How are you gonna be that person? How are you gonna make that impact? So in terms of reading, always reading, and in terms of entrepreneurship, I highly recommend, if you're out there, Atomic Habits, it will change your life forever. The whole book is about these little micro things you can do in a day that make it better. Like, for example, today, when I woke up, I have, like, my vitamins, by my coffee, and then next to my coffee, I have my keys. And by doing that, I save, like, six, what, six minutes of my day of, you know, productivity because I've just done these three things that I need to do. I've grouped the habits together, and I'm off to the next thing. So I think things like that are super life hacks that can really just make you very effective. And read, you know, like, I hate to say that, but for this generation, read, read, and read. The more you read, the more you learn the more you become a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And rather than having messaging thrown at you, you kind of become the message. And I think that's the brilliance of reading. So definitely read.
0: I'm going to let you go pretty shortly here, but I want to find out if there is a business person that you admire or someone's company that you really have felt drawn to in terms of an entrepreneur.
1: Absolutely. Oh, this is my favorite. I say this for every question, but this is truly my favorite question. So Sunira Mandani, she has a journey very similar to my own, and she started a fintech payment system called Fat Merchant. I think she unicorned at the age of 30, but that's not necessarily the only reason I'm absolutely florin and obsessed with her. The most important thing she did is she opened up her own podcast series called CEO School. And the idea behind this was to empower women of color and anyone who doesn't have access to an education on the basics behind entrepreneurship and I would recommend to anyone who's listening to this go check it out it's called CEO School by Sunira Mandani and what she does is the podcasts are free and she gives you 20 lessons on entrepreneurship you know she starts with product market studio she goes into go-to-market strategy and she brings in women who have started their own businesses and really thrived within that space to talk about their experiences and I think Taking what you've learned and being able to give it back to people in that way is so brilliant. And that's what inspires me so much. Like every time I see her unicorning and and just she broke the glass ceiling and then she's putting her hand out to bring everyone back through it. She's honestly the greatest person in the world. So. Hopefully one day I could maybe meet her and get somewhere close. But I think this idea of giving back to everybody and really encouraging entrepreneurs to learn this process and know it's not this impossible pipe dream is the brilliance that
0: is Sunira Mandani. So that's great. Big shout out to her. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll have to look look into that podcast. That's great. Before we leave, I wanted to find out if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you feel important to share in your wisdom to other entrepreneurs or anything that we didn't talk about in about your company that you want to make sure we cover?
1: I guess on an ending note, I just want to say, like, and I know it's cheesy, but you can do it, right? I think entrepreneurship is always sold as this kind of risky proposition or this thing that you have to be so enterprising to do this or, or whatever it may be. And it's just not true. You know, entrepreneurship is risky, sure, but you have to know how to mitigate risk, right? And I think the key to being a great entrepreneur is learning how to do that. Whether you go to CEO school with Sunira Mandani, or you go get six degrees, or you take a class on risk management, right? Just knowing how to mitigate risk is key. But it's no more risky than any other profession. And if you're really passionate about something and you truly have that dream, you know you can make it happen. It's just about getting that plan down and making it happen. And I think we would have so many more entrepreneurs in this world and maybe even cooler inventions than we currently have if people just believed in themselves. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard that reality of life and all that stuff gets in the way. So I understand that. But if there's something I really want to say to anyone listening to this is believe in that dream, tell it to somebody, write about it, start with a little blog, but nurture it slowly and consistently And before you know it, maybe you'll start GIGUP or something else, and you'll get to pursue your dreams in a way that makes you happy.
0: That's awesome. So at this point, how can people find out more about GIGUP or reach out to you if they have questions or want to be supportive?
1: Absolutely. So the best way to reach out to us at GIGUP is just go to the eLabs website. All of our information is right there. We'll have a website up by the end of April as well, so you can just search GIGUP. We'll be all over and hopefully in the App Store by the end of April, June. So that's the best way. And if you want to contact me personally for anything on entrepreneurship or advice, I'm sure uh, Kathy will drop the link here with my email and everything. And I'd be more than happy to help out anyone on their journey because I think it's one of the best journeys you can take. And I'd love to be a resource so you can start pursuing your dreams and get closer to it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love it.
0: To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And please rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of this episode and sharing your thoughts. A special thanks to Abigail Younger, my editor extraordinaire, and to Bert Odom-Reed of the Cornell Broadcast Studio.